All right, thanks kids. Thanks Annalyn for reading to us. Uh, good morning and welcome again to Christ Community. My name is Bill Gorman and uh, excited to have you with us this morning. Merry Christmas. And we're going to continue worshiping together uh, by reading some of Isaiah chapter 55, which is our scripture text for this morning. So I'm going to read the first couple of verses and the last couple of verses. And the scripture reading can be found on page 615 in your pew Bible. So we'll read verses 1 and 2 and then verses 13 and 14. Hear God's word. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he who has no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And then down to verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we look at this passage together. Father in heaven, you are the most joyful being. No one has ever been happier than you, and no one will ever be happy without you. So Lord, this morning, would you grant us joy by believing in your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it is almost here, right? It's almost time, kids, to open up presents. And this is actually a present from our family. This is one that's going to be under the tree, ready to be opened. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I don't know about you kids, if, you're, if you are ready for that. Um, now, I can't tell you what this is because my girls are here. They're going to open this on Christmas. I, some of you older kids, if I shake this, you might, you might be able to take a guess at the sound. But don't say anything because, you know, this is for Lucy and Isla. They're going to open this up on Christmas. But I want to ask you a question about a present. This is for everybody. Not necessarily to call out, but just think about this. If you could put anything under the tree for your loved one this year. Money was no object. You can just buy whatever you wanted to put under the tree. What would it be? What would you buy for your kids, for your spouse, for your friend, for your mom, for your dad? What would you put under the Christmas tree for them? And not, this is not a trick question, not looking for the super spiritual answer of, of you know, peace on earth or you know, anything like that. Just what, what would you, if you had unlimited money and you could just buy them whatever you, you wanted, what would you get for them? Now, now think about this then. Everything we put under the tree, every Nintendo Go, every American Girl doll, every uh, watch, every iPhone, every set of earrings or backpack, and anything that we put under the tree, like ultimately what we're giving, what we're hoping that we give is a little bit of joy. A little bit of happiness. That's what we, whatever the gift itself is, what we really want to give that person is joy. Which is why it's hard when someone doesn't like the gift that we've given. Not only is it sort of like, oh man, like I'm, I'm bummed they don't like this thing I gave them, but also like they're not happy. That's what I was hoping for. I was hoping they would 
be happy when I gave them this thing. That's why I bought that for them. Now, think about this, too. Oftentimes, we use the words and we, we try to make a distinction between joy and happiness. Like, those are somehow two different things, joy and happiness. But really, the Bible actually doesn't make a distinction when the Bible uses that language. It sort of uses joy and happiness synonymously. It doesn't make a distinction between the two. What really is the distinction is not between how the Bible uses those words, but on how we use those words and how the Scripture uses those words. Because when we use joy and happiness, it's almost always about the immediate, and I'm not minimizing that, but it's fleeting, it's rooted in our circumstances. But when the Bible talks about joy and happiness, it's rooted deeper and it never ends. It's not connected to our circumstances, but in our hope. It's not about our ability to achieve it on our own or fix it ourselves, but it's rooted in God's promise. You see, biblical joy is the expectant posture of God's people. And listen, this morning, if you only take one thing away with you this morning, and I hope it's this, that you were made for joy. You were made for joy. Now, maybe you are skeptical of that, or maybe even kind of scoff at that at first, because I think oftentimes deep down, we if we're honest about how we really think about God, we, we view Him as angry or vengeful, maybe, or, or maybe just distant, like He doesn't really know us. I know often when I think about God and how I think about He might be thinking of me, often I think disappointment, like, man, He must be disappointed in me. But Isaiah, Isaiah gives us a really different picture of God and, and how He thinks of us and what He desires for us. Because you see, we tend to forget that God is the most joyful being who has ever existed. There is no one happier than God. Do you, do you think of God as happy? As joyful? And yes, he weeps over the brokenness of, of his world, but at the end, he knows how the story is going to end. And so, so through the tears, his face shines with delight. And happy people, they share their happiness. They, they can't help it. A truly joyful person spreads their joy. It's just how it works. You and I, we were made for joy. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a, a catechism, the, puts it this way. There's the, the first question is, what is the, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose for human beings? Why do we as human beings exist? Some of you know, the, the answer is to glorify God and what? To enjoy Him. To enjoy Him forever. You and I, we were made for joy. We were made for joy. So when you look at Isaiah 55, and I invite you to turn there, if you have not again, it's on page 615 in the Pew Bibles, you can pull it up in your phone. What you discover in Isaiah 55 is this really beautiful poetic structure where the text in the first couple of verses, it opens with joy, and then in the final verses, it concludes with joy. You have a feast at the beginning, and then this incredible picture of all of creation bursting forth in a standing ovation. So joy at the beginning, joy at the end. But the key to the joy at the beginning and the joy at the end is who's in the middle. 
is who's in the middle. If we want the joy at the end of the passage, we have to seek the God of joy who is at the center of the passage. And so, how do we do that this morning? Well, Isaiah is going to show us three things in this poem. First, we're going to see an invitation to joy. And then we're going to see the path to joy. And then finally, we're going to see the fulfillment of joy. We're going to get a picture of what it looks like when joy comes in its fulfillment. So the invitation, the path, and then the fulfillment. So first the, first the invite, first the invitation, and this is in Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 and 2 is where you really see this. There's this incredible invitation to come to a feast, a feast with the best food, with the best drink, to eat as much as you can, drink as much as you want, come and be filled. It reminds me of those great scenes in the Harry Potter stories, right, where at the beginning of the term at Hogwarts, there's this great feast. Take a look. Your attention, please. Let the feast begin. It's those scenes that fill my imagination as I read those early verses in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money or without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me, eat what is good, and delight yourselves in the richest of foods. <clears throat> and what really stands out to me, though, in these verses, even more than the, the kind of this rich feast that we're invited to, what stands out to me even more is the entrance requirement to the feast. Like, how do you get invited to this banquet? Because it's not having money. It's not buying a ticket. It, it's not being able to afford it. And In fact, it's just the opposite. The, the only way you get into this party is by acknowledging that you can't afford it, that you can't buy it. The only requirement here, it's not, it's not prestige, it's need. It's your hunger, it's your thirst, it's admitting that, that you need this food, that you're starving, that you're parched. The only way to get in is to admit that you're hungry. It's just like Jesus' great invitation to us in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, right, this is, this is the famous verse, come to me all you who have your life together, who perfectly are rested, and who don't need anything. Right? No, that's not the verse. It's come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? The, the only requirement to come to the feast the only requirement to come to Jesus is actually admitting that I, I desperately need this, that I'm lacking, that I'm not enough. Right? And, and until we do that, so long as we think that we can be happy on our own, so long as we think that we can be joyful on our own, we will always be on the outside of that banquet looking in. But the moment we're willing to say, finally, you know what, I, I can't do this on my own, I cannot satisfy the deepest longings that I have on my own. 
and we say, yeah, I'm hungry, I'm starving, then you're welcome to the banquet. That's all you need to get in. So, so what are you stuffing your life with, trying to satisfy those deepest longings, trying to find joy, trying to find happiness? Because there's always a shadow side to what we kind of try to stuff our lives with, right? Because our desires, they change, they compete, they're not always the same. Sometimes they conflict with each other. Or maybe we try to find it in food, but then we end up unhealthy, lethargic. Sometimes we look for it in stuff, right? But then we end up in debt. Sometimes we try to, to gather lots and lots of possessions, but then we become, uh, what a, a book my wife's been reading is called, we just become stuff managers, right? We just have all this stuff we have to take care of and manage. Maybe we look for it in opportunities for our kids, but our schedules get so full that we're never home. There's always a shadow in this. It was the Austrian psychologist and Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, uh, who was not a, a Christian, um, but I think he explains so well, articulates so well why it is that we can't pursue happiness as an end of itself. And that's so baked in for us as a country, right, that we want to pursue happiness. It's in the Declaration of Independence, but Frankel points out this is why you can't pursue happiness as an end of itself. So look at this. Um, yeah, it says, happiness cannot be pursued. Instead, it, it must ensue and it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal devotion to a cause greater than oneself, or this is going to be really key here, or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself, or as a byproduct of one's surrender to someone else. And this is exactly what Isaiah shows us in the next verses. Because remember, it's the God at the center, the God of joy at the center of this poem, who's the source of joy at the beginning and the end. The, there's only one path to joy, and it's in seeking Him, the God who's at the center of this text, that we find satisfaction. And what is this God of joy like? We see in verse 7 that He's full of compassion. We see that He wants to abundantly pardon sins. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. Seek the Lord while He may be found. That's the path. Call on Him while He's near. Let the wicked, and notice this, it's going to be key in just a moment, let the wicked forsake His way, the unrighteous man His thoughts. So notice those two key words of ways and thoughts. And let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. <clears throat> again, that word compassion it's one of the most tender words in the entire Hebrew language. It speaks of this just precious love between a mother and a child. That's how God relates to us. And I love how Eugene Peterson and his paraphrase, the message, I love how he brings across the end of verse 7. He says this, he says, Come back to our God who is lavish, who is lavish with forgiveness. Come back to our God who is lavish with forgiveness. Do you need to hear those words today? Because the deep longing of our hearts is to be fully known and also to be fully loved. And that's only possible with lavish forgiveness. Because right? we tend to hide from one another. We think that, that if someone really knew who I was, 
if they really knew all the things I had done, if they really knew the darkest things in my heart, the darkest desires that I've had, that if they really fully knew me, that they couldn't possibly love me, that they would leave me, that they would abandon me, that they would condemn me. You see, shame steals joy. Shame steals joy every time. Shame is the greatest enemy of joy. But, but listen to the words of Isaiah here, right? Return to the Lord, not, not that He may have judgment. Return to the Lord, not so that He'll condemn you. Return to the Lord, and He will have compassion on them. Return to the Lord that He may lavish forgiveness on you. He will take away all of your shame if you will give up on your own ways, if you'll give up on your own thoughts. Because, because the reason that you and I then can give up on our own thoughts, our own ways, is that we are surrendering, as Viktor Frankl puts it, to a person other than ourselves. And when we give up on our own thoughts and our own ways, we can do that because God's thoughts are higher and His ways are better. Look at verses 10 and 11 in the message. Again, Eugene Peterson does this so beautifully. For as the, high, the skies soar high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. And just as the rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they've watered the earth, then down to verse 11, so will not, so the words that come out of my mouth not come back empty-handed. They will do the work I sent them to do. They will complete the assignment I gave them. I mean, Isaiah 55, 11 is the reason that Christ's community has such a high view of the Bible. Because we believe that these are God's words and that they are powerful, that they will do what He has set out for them to do. It's why we teach at every level, whether it's up here with adults or downstairs with kids, at every level we, we teach from the Scriptures because I, I don't have anything to ch- say that's going to change your life. But we believe that the Word of God, He's promised that it will not fail in the assignment that He's given it to do. There's incredible power in these words. The only path to joy is to seek the God of joy. And Jackie Hill Perry, author songwriter writes in her beautiful song, The Art of Joy. She captures this so well. She says, you make us happy when we look at you. You make us happy when we look for you. Satisfaction only happens to those who are glad, those who are glad in you. So we have the invitation. We've seen that. We've seen the path to joy, which is to seek the God at the center while He may be found. And this is what happens when we respond to the invitation, when we seek Him, we find Him, and we find joy, the fulfillment of joy. Just as rain brings the life to the earth, so my words, God says, will bring life to our souls. He says, when I say, when God says to us, I want to give you joy, He really means that. And at the end of this path, when God either takes us home or returns and makes all things new and makes His forever home here with us on earth, look at what happens. Look at this picture, verse 12. For you shall go out with joy 
and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Right? And I, I want to be there to witness that moment. Right? Many of you know my, my love for nature, for the national parks. Can you imagine those places erupting in song? The trees of the fields, the mountains and the hills, the most amazing choir, the trees giving the largest standing ovation the earth has ever seen. For just as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, all of creation is groaning, waiting for redemption. And when that redemption finally comes... The groaning's going to stop and everything is going to start bursting forth into praise, into celebration. Which means that our joy can't just be about today. It's about knowing how the story ends for God's people, how it ends for all of the created realm, and the end is good. Look down at verse 13. When this happens, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. What we're getting here is a picture of a return to the Garden of Eden. Instead of the briar, right, look at this, that looks painful, right? We're going to get a myrtle instead, that soft, beautiful flower. Instead of thorns, right, the thorns that came as a result of sin, the curse in the world, instead of that we're going to get the cypress. Look at this. And if you kind of zoom in, look closely at the cypress leaves. I think I've got a picture of that too. Yeah, look at it. That couldn't be further, right, from the, from the thorn or from the briar. Soft, almost feathery leaves of the cypress tree. A return to Eden. Isaiah is saying God's beauty and goodness and love and joy is going to grow up right out of the earth and snuff out all of the darkness, all of the curse is going to disappear, and we will finally be home. Right, and so, so the only question is this, as we end. Will you receive the gift? Right, the invitation is out there. The path is, is pretty clear. His way, not mine. And we can enter His joy today and for forever. You were made for joy. God wants you to be happier Christmas is a reminder that joy has come. Uh, Not as a theory, but as a person. Happiness, joy, delight with skin on. He's come to get us, to forgive us, and to make His home with us. And so this morning, we feast on God, on His presence, His love, His table of joy and true satisfaction. And I don't know about you, but I'm planning on eating a lot of really delicious food in the next couple of days as we celebrate Christmas. Right, but none of it so rich, none of it so rich as the tiny piece of bread dipped in a tiny bit of juice, a foretaste, an appetizer of the great feast to come when all of creation will be rejoicing in the joy of the one who has been joyful from before all time.